better is not always better because we use the word better as synonymous with convenience. If something is cheaper, faster, quicker. Um, but cheaper and faster, quicker technology is not always the healthiest form of technology for human nature. Basically, the spectrum I use to qualify what technology is worthy of having in your life and in our society is whether or not it is adding meaning to our lives or taking meaning away. Because there are things in our lives that are obstacles, um, but they might develop character. They might develop traits that we feel like we need or skills that we feel like we need. Um, and when we try to obliterate skills and techniques and, and emotional capabilities, even though they're hard, even though they're not convenient, even though they might be more um, time-consuming or even more expensive, they might be worth it in the long run for who we are as Welcome to The Uncensored Show with your host, George Atchampal, where we share the mindset, tips, tools, strategies, and stories on how to use your money to do more of what you love and what you were called to do. Money is like gas on a road trip. Sure, you need it to get where you're going, but you're not going on a tour of gas stations. Money fuels your journey. The question is, what's yours? Live life uncensored. Was on that gospel sh- <laughs> I know y'all like What's going on Is this the Uncensored Podcast Is George about to Drop a freestyle Well Y'all know I can rap So That's another story For another day But now nah, I wanted to start This episode out A little differently Because uh, the guest that I have on today, she shares my love and appreciation that I have for none other than Jay Hove, the GOAT. And so I thought, why not, you know, have a little Hove playing in the backdrop to start the episode? I think about 30-ish episodes back, uh, I explored some of the ideals that she talks about on a daily basis on one of my episodes. And it was, you know, one of the best episodes that we've ever done in terms of rating reviews, etc. And so I was like, man, I got to get her on the show. And personally, I've been following her work for over two years. Uh, read the book back in 2018, Resonate. And ever since then, I've, I've been tapped in. I have shared her stuff on my stories. Uh, I've read her book cover to cover. I've re-referenced the book. I've watched her YouTube. Um, and not to come across as a, as a stan or a super fan, but I just really love the way her mind works. And I do believe that she is... Um, one of the most important people of our generation and I just want to go on record giving her her credit you know and giving her her flowers while she's still here and so crowned by TEDx as a tech influencer Alex Wolf dropped out of college at age 22 to build what would become the fastest growing network of female millennial entrepreneurs online with the following totaling in the millions right and so growing up in a home with all types of gadgets and computers thanks to the influence of her father Building her first company gave her a front row seat on how quickly social media was changing society. So rather than just doubling down and continuing to grow that thing, because she could have, uh, she got she really got curious. Um, she sold the empire and then really started to explore and dig deep on you know how this stuff was going to impact our world. And as a result of it, 
you know, uh, she has been able to articulate and unpack some of the the most incredible ideas that I've, I've heard in a, in a very long time. Um, and she has a lot of credentials, right? So don't get it twisted. This isn't just like made up stuff or, you know, self-proclaimed. You know, she was named as the top 100 most creative people in business by Fast Company. She was named as the top 20 influencer by Adweek. And she was also mentioned by Inc. Magazine as a top creative entrepreneurs in marketing and media. So, you know, people know who she is. You might not know who she is, but people know who she is. I actually chose that song because I know Jay-Z says, you know, in case I got to remind you fools, you know what I'm saying? Like, she, she, she's lit. But anywho, uh, I'm not going to you know talk too much longer because I don't want to steal the thunder of the episode. And we, we talk about a lot of great things. We have a lot of fun, most importantly, just you know, sharing this perspective, because when you have like, you know, like-minded people in a conversation and I really understand her work, we were able to really, you know, touch on some key and beneficial points. So tap into the show. Um, it's a great episode. You know, I'm glad I finally got a chance to get on the podcast because, you know, my wife like thought I had a crush on her, but she was just like, man, you're always talking about Alex Wolf, Alex Wolf, who is Alex Wolf? I'm just like, yo, like check out her work and you, you might have a crush on her too. <laughs> But nah, it was it was really fun having her on the show, and I know you're gonna love this episode. And yeah, tap in. Let me know what you think. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Uncensored Show. And if you're a friend of mine or a listener of the show, you probably heard me mention our guest before. I'm an absolute fan of her work. I love the way. She thinks about technology, and I'm just super excited to have her on the show. So with no further ado, Alex, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me on. Absolutely. Absolutely. So while I'm a super fan and I know all about your work, um, I know there's you know a shrinking population that may or may not know who Alex is or what she's all about. So for the benefit of our listeners, can you just kind of share in your own words, like who is Alex Wolf? Like, and what are you all about? Yeah, so I am a tech influencer, tech anthropologist, and I'm very passionate about the relationship between tech and society. So basically, a lot of my work is studying the relationship between um, how technology affects our politics, our economics, and our relationships. And I think um, part of why I'm so inspired by this is because I'm also an entrepreneur. Um, I'm passionate about creative entrepreneurship and actually started an online business program called Creative Business School, um, where we teach content creators how they can merchandise their brand um, in productive and efficient ways that scope beyond just um, partnerships and, and trying to get ad, uh, ad money from views and things like that. So I've been in the game for a while now. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much what my platform covers. Dope, dope. Um, so, you know, you've always been an early adopter of technology. So obviously it was no surprise when the emergence of social media came around and you were able to kind of identify, you know, what this was and kind of grow this massive following in this massive platform, which we don't have to go you know, too deep into. But I'm curious as to what made you decide to, number one, build that platform of that magnitude and that gravity, but then kind of make the pivot to focusing on the, the tech literacy piece? Yeah, well, for one, I didn't know I was going to be building out a huge platform. I, I, of course, wanted that, but I didn't necessarily 
plan for it to happen the way it did, or I wasn't 100% sure it was going to happen. Um, I was 21 at the time, and like you said, I, I was a big social media fan, had been, you know, literally cutting school just to stay home and be on Twitter um, because I found that much enjoyment from it. But that was before social media became like a the, the primary marketing channel for companies. It was still kind of when um, people were just on there to kind of enjoy it, and it was less about ads. But um, I think that, you know, and I'm, I talk about my story in my book, but I think I got into social media for all the wrong reasons. You know, I, I wanted to, my goal and what I was kind of taught by the media was to just seek fame and money um, and really spend the majority of my life chasing external things. So social media, uh, specifically Instagram, was really a great platform to indulge in that um, insecurity. And so that's what I did there. And I was able to successfully achieve both, you know, having a you know great company that was providing a lot of financial independence for me and my team and um, popularity. And those are the two things I wanted. But then I realized um, I had to get, I had to do all that to realize that external things don't really give you much and um, decided to sell the company and start to talk about why I was concerned about how Instagram and other technology affects our psychology and um, our relationships with each other. So it was kind of like a very uh, interesting journey to get here. Got it. Got it. Now it makes a lot of sense. And I know, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe your motto is that technology should make our life better which, you know, generally speaking, most people would argue from a convenient standpoint, at least that it does. So so what is your perspective, you know, kind of on the lack of thoughtfulness in modern technology? And, you know, how can we improve design? And if we don't, what do you feel like are some of the long term ramifications of that? Yeah, well, for one thing, I, I am careful about using the word better when I talk about technology, because, uh, you know, better is, is pretty relative. And, Better is not always better because what we, like you said, um, usually we can, we create, we use the word better as synonymous with convenience. If something is cheaper, faster, quicker, um, but cheaper and faster, quicker technology is not always the healthiest form of technology for human nature. Um, and I have a whole presentation I gave about this on my YouTube channel, but um, basically the spectrum I use to qualify what technology is worthy of having in your life and in our society is whether or not it is adding meaning to our lives or taking meaning away because there are things in our lives that are obstacles, um, but they might develop character. They might develop traits that we feel like we need or skills that we feel like we need. Um, and when we try to obliterate skills and techniques and, and emotional capabilities, even though they're hard, even though they're not convenient, even though they might be more um, time consuming or even more expensive, they might be worth it in the long run for who we are as a species. So as far as developing um, healthier tech and, and um, well-designed tech, again, the spectrum I use is, is it meaningful or, or not? And I actually do have four qualifiers that I present to companies who come, who ask me to come in and talk about the ethics. And in a nutshell, it basically, um, the first one is it is sensitive to your emotions, technology that doesn't imply that you are just as mechanically perfect at, as it, as it is. Um, so a lot of our technology assumes that we are just as productive or, or, um, you know, non-human as, 
as they are, and yeah. that's just not true. So those types of technologies can be really harmful. Um, the other one is that it, it, um, it nurtures or nurtures or enhances your senses or emotions. So it doesn't exploit your eyes, your taste, your touch. A lot of our technology is hyper stimulant and um, causes addictions because of rises of dopamine in the in the body, which is um, correlated to all types of depressions and anxiety. Um, third is a harmonious text to technique ratio, which that's kind of a complicated one to explain. But basically, um, we lose a lot by thinking cooking is just putting food in a microwave. Um, we lose skills by not having technology that require us to have techniques. So microwave, you don't need to know the technique of knowing how to cook to get cooked food. But if you have a society that doesn't know how to cook to get cooked food because they've all been using a microwave, then you have to think about the larger um, social um, consequences of that. And then last but not least is presence. So technology that either allows an opportunity for you to be present with someone else or present with yourself. A lot of our technology right now, specifically our telecommunications, do not incorporate presence, um, which is causing all types of disruption in our ability to effectively communicate with each other, which is definitely some, a threat to the, the integrity of our society. Wow. Well, I couldn't have asked for a better, better answer. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and just the level set, guys, who want you to hear this episode, I've watched every video that she's ever done. I've read her book. I'm tapped in on social media. So I'm, ask, I'm asking these questions so that y'all can just get an insight to her perspective. You're like, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this for y'all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm on game. I'm on game. Like, um, as a matter of fact, I don't know if you remember, but when you put out, I can't remember the exact title of the video, but it was, I think, around like more human-friendly technology. I'm in the process of uh, developing a fintech app and you kind of reframe okay. my whole thought process on how I want to design it. Cause first I wanted it to be like, you know, this, like this app where it was just these, these insensitive notifications that letting you know, you're about to spend too much money. But then I thought about it. I was like, how can I create something that's more human friendly that still integrates uh, the things that people want to do in their lifestyle, but just maybe giving them a more viable alternative without making them feel bad at seven in the morning. Cause the right. algorithm just sends out this automatic notification. So it really reshaped my whole thought process on how I'm going to develop that. So That's I really awesome. appreciate that. Oh, wow. I'm so happy to hear that. Yeah, so I really appreciate the work you do. Um, so if someone's unfamiliar with your work, they might just uh, generally assume that like, oh, you think tech is bad and that we should like, uh, you know, stop using it and put the phone down. But that's kind of very much the opposite of your viewpoint. You know, I, I think it's more about, mm -hmm. you know, creating tech that integrates seamlessly as an extension of our life um, and doesn't replace it. Right. Mm -hmm. So for the up and coming innovators yes, who want absolutely. to design right better technology, you know, if when I, you probably kind of already answered this, but if you could just touch on it again, you know, how should they be thinking about it? Is it just kind of your four points that you just gave? Like, does it meet those qualifiers? Is that kind of how they should be thinking about building anything new to really make sure that it is human friendly and meets those metrics that you talked about? Yeah, I think that the four qualifiers are a great sort of tangible checklist to use as a guide. But I think what is even more powerful than that is encompassing a philosophy, like you said and mentioned, um, and seeing technology as an extension of our limits. Um, because if you if you design technology and you comprehend the universe as a separate thing than you, 
um, then it will be reflected through the technology and probably cause a lot of friction between um, the nature of, of humanity and the technology and, and it has all types of environmental effects um, that, and we see that all the time. I think that has, is most of how most of our technology is built. But when you conceptualize the universe as an extension of you as a human, um, you don't build technology as trying to further isolate pieces as if um, things, you know, have that sep that separateness. But you start to think conceptualize technology that bridges things. Like, for example, um, you know, I, I don't see skin as a as a, a an isolator from the outside space. I see it as a bridge because if you think about it. Skin is a membrane and it has pores and receptors and it's extremely sensitive. Um, but if we conceptualize it as like a shield, then we have a completely different idea of what the world is, right? So it's the same thing with technology where it's like, how can we build, how can we embrace a philosophy that um, helps us build technology that, that proves just how much everything already is connected and not um, trying to force a separateness that doesn't even exist to begin with. Got it. Got it. Now that makes a ton of sense. And one of the things that I think is really relevant right now, being that, you know, a lot of us are still quarantined and all that stuff, you know, Harvard did a study mm -hmm. and I believe it was its longest study to date. And they found that there was only one link to a longer lifespan. And that was genuine human interaction. Um, and you've been an advocate, like I mm -hmm. said earlier, for friendly, you know, human friendly technology. And I think that what the pandemic proved is that when we have the inability to interact with people um, the way we normally do, we organically gravitate to technology that has more presence. Right. I.e. Instagram Live has been around for right. a minute now. But why is everybody popping up with IG Lives now in the, the versus battles? D nice. Right. You know, we're seeing all these things that just intuitively when people are unable to connect they're they're gravitating towards the technology that has the most presence that forces you to show up and not have this perfectly right. curated feed or grid and so my, my question to exactly. you is what do you hope emerges or what do you see because you're you know so far ahead of your time when it comes to what you see what do you see emerging from this time as a result of people maybe realizing like man i really do crave uh this human interaction and so not only when i when i get back to being able to do it normally but what is it what is life going to look like now that we know this is the type of tech that we will actually want to look for yeah well i think that we've definitely been put in a position to reevaluate our priorities and our values and i think it starts there but i think in addition to that and if you're you know if you're familiar with my work then you know i talk a lot about the importance of articulating life stages and um, because I'm a millennial and because a lot of the technology we use right now has been adopted and pushed forward by millennial users, um, I'm often paying attention to the maturation of the millennial and that correlation with finding the meaning in life and, and specifically with what you're talking about, which is connection. So again, I think we're being served a double whammy, having this forced um, sort of, you know, shelter in place situation in combination with phasing out of one uh, life stage, which is early adulthood, um, going into, you know, pretty much older adulthood, your priorities change and, and you really start to 
have a different perspective of what is important in life. And I think the first thing we're going to look at when we start um, wondering what's important is, is this technology that we've let consume so much of our early adulthood and, and teenage years. So, um, you know, I, I don't, I'm not waiting for one big wake up call, but I do see little by little. And I do think it's an individual journey. You know, some people um, will have a realization about how, they want to be sensitive to technology at a different stage than other people. But I think, um, you know, it'll happen. Indeed. Indeed. I agree wholeheartedly. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Fix Your Finances Friday, where each and every week we address at least one thing you can do to fix your finances this week. It's time to call up the friend or the family member who you owe money to. There's no creditor that you should pay back before you pay back your family member, right? If your family member loans you money and it was a legitimate loan, it wasn't just, hey, here's a couple hundred bucks that you can just have. I don't need it back. If they need that money or that they said that it was a loan, you need to call them. And the kicker is it's not about if you have it or not. The kicker is taking responsibility in providing a timeline of when you're going to do it. People just want you to communicate with them, right? If you owe somebody some money, pick up the phone. Hey, man, I know I was going to get you back this Friday, but, you know, it's looking a little tricky right now. We've got COVID-19 going on or whatever the whatever's happening by the time this airs, and I ain't got it. But just call them, right? Don't leave people in the dark. Communicate. Let them know where you stand, what you're going to do, and there should be no reason why you're avoiding friends and family, especially the ones that held you down in a certain season, um, just because you don't want to address the elephant in the room, pick up the phone, call them. Most people are reasonable. Let them know, Hey, I ain't got it right now, but you got it as soon as I do, or I ain't got all of it. And I'm going to, I'm going to shoot you something on it. Right. Maybe you can't always pay people back the full amount, but even if it's a small amount of money, it's the gesture that count. It lets them know that you're thinking about them and that you're not just out here, you know, eating out and spending their money without acknowledging the fact that you owe them. Right. So, This week, call that friend or family member that you owe money and pay them back or let them know when and how you will. You know, one of the things I also know you're an advocate for, which we'll talk about a little bit, um, and I know you have like a creative business school where you, you know, basically are helping creators understand how to really monetize uh, their brand, but it's obvious that social media is a massive platform to be able to market your business and sell products, right? So if you're someone that wants mm-hmm. creatives to equally honor themselves and create things that are meaningful while still getting in their bag, like what's that uh, harmony between not forcing your business down people's throats, uh, but still advocating for yourself so you don't stay stuck in basically being a starving artist? Yeah, well, I think... Uh the best way to deal with that is just by being really proud of what you're selling and really confident about what you're selling. Oftentimes, um, the only time we, we get that type of friction or insecurity about, oh, I don't want to you know, come off too pushy is if we aren't gung-ho about what we're selling. So once you, can, once you feel you know, deep down in your soul that you love your product and you know it's going to work, you know it's going to help, the people it's designed to help, then you're way more confident about telling people about it um, and being successful with it. And I think also I was just writing about how there comes a time, especially because I work with so many creatives, 
who often struggle with trying to find the balance of, um, you know, remaining their sort of artistic prestige while also being a business person. Um, and there comes a moment where you just kind of do have to decide how much you're willing to um, suffer. <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, and, and I say that because I've dealt with that myself, right? It's like, okay, you want to have a certain perception of you, but it costs, um, you know, financial uh, discomfort and, you know, all, which comes with all that types of other discomfort, then that's a choice that you have made. But if you have decided that you're not willing to be that uncomfortable financially and therefore in other areas, then that's another decision you can make as well. And um, it really does come down to who do you care about? Um, who, who do you care of what thinks of who thinks of you? Right. We all have different people that we care the opinions of. And I think that's natural and normal. But when it comes at the cost of our sanity or our health or our ability to take care of ourselves, um, that's where I think it's an issue. And I do encourage creatives to kind of step up and remember, like, this is your life. At the end of the day, you're waking up, you know, in your own world and you're going to sleep in your own world. And having someone in the outside world think, you know, you have the artistic prestige and for three seconds as they scroll on Instagram, is it really worth spending your entire day in discomfort to have that other person think that for three seconds? You know, mm. I don't think so. Um, and I think once you have enough discomfort, other people don't think so either. And then that's when they come to me and I help them and we get, we get the bag. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. For sure. So let's talk about that a little bit. So what, what exactly is uh, the creative business school? Like, what is that all about? Yeah. So basically I saw, or I see how many content creators, really create content because they like being creative, but they think that's all it takes for it to be financially successful. So a lot of people are making, you know, content that takes up a lot of their time, energy and money and are doing it in the hope that a brand is going to come and either pay them or they can make money from YouTube ads or whatever. And it's possible, right? I'm not here to crush dreams, but I see again, um, that lack of clarity of what they want to do in their business or that lack of um, having sort of like a system in place for the content instead of just making it to make it, you know, is it serving you in a way beyond just your creative freedom? Is it linking back to some type of digital asset that you can use like an email list or a website? Um, you know, are you just making content for Instagram? Because you really have to question your role and the value that you give to social, you know, traditional social media like Instagram and Twitter because they're making all the money off of your content. So, you know, when I point that out, a lot of people don't conceptualize social media that way. We've been so distracted by all the endorphins and other things we get from using it that we don't realize we are the programming for um, for the channel. You know, we're, we're TV was successful because there were ads between the programming and we are the programming. It's not a show anymore. It's your graduation pictures and your recipes and your baby pictures. Um, so once you have that perspective, a lot of people sort of shift their idea of how they want to use that and um, start to get more creative about how to make some real money on their own with their content. And so I do believe and I'm predicting an economic shift in 
creators investing in their own merchandise, but not just like t-shirts and mugs, right? I think that's definitely important and part of it. But what I emphasize in the Creative Business School is creating a signature product that has specific wealth generating um, qualities that make a difference than just, you know, chasing around, you know, product after product trying to, you know, whip up a different collection for your audience to buy, but actually being smart about it and coming up with a, a brand and a product that can serve you and, and has the opportunity to create generational wealth. Dope. Dope. Now, I, I'm, now, and I gl- I'm glad you used the term digital asset because I, I try to get people to wrap their head around that. Like you literally can create something digitally that once you create it that one time, obviously you can make updates or iterations or changes to it. Like your book, prime example, right? Even though you can buy the hard copy, that's something that you created one time that can make you money for the next 30 years, right? Because it, because you, right, exactly. and, it, and it ties back into meaningfulness, right? Because it's like, you know, I think about the music industry. Cool, you can make a song that's a bop and people are doing TikTok videos. It's fun. We're joining in on it. But would you rather do that and have a big, I call it like the difference between uh, a firecracker and a candle, right? Like a firecracker is loud and it's quick, but then it goes away versus a slow burning candle that right. lasts for a period of time, right? So I know you're a big Hove fan. So for example, you know, I got the whole collection mm-hmm. I'm looking at it right now. Um, but like, you know, his, there's, there's mm-hmm. music from Reasonable Doubt and all these albums, volume one, volume two, that 26 years later are just still relevant, you know? And so it's like, I think that's, that's well, what it ties ooh, back to. Well, let's talk about that. Yeah. Let's talk about that because... I, what you're talking about is intangible value. And um, I, I, I stress that a lot in, in the curriculum for creative business school. I talk about how, so for creative specifically, where a lot of us get stuck is we try to do this business thing. And a lot of the books and um, resources that talk about product market fit are only talking about products that have tangible value. So um, for example, you know, okay, if you want to sell an acne cream, you know, what is the quickest way, what is the product that can get rid of the the acne cream, the the quickest and the cheapest? That's who wins that market, right? The person who can figure out the the quickest and the cheapest, which brings us back to sort of what we were talking about technology, right? Those have been the conditions the market um, uses to really have growth and to, again, have that product market fit. But then you look at luxury products, or you look at creative products, or you look at um, things like um, you know, the, the this empire that Jay-Z has built, and it has nothing to do with the quickest and the cheapest and any of that. It has everything to do with a more intangible type of value, which is um, less objective and more emotional and psychological. And because that's not the part that gets emphasized in most of the material about business, creatives are just like, what? I can't, you know, I don't want to make a shirt that's the cheapest. Creatives want to make a luxury shirt or, you know, something that's quality that is it's way deeper than the shirt itself. It's about what's on the shirt and what's on the shirt and what makes the shirt valuable again is not the physical materials, but it is the emotional and psychological symbols it's associated with. So what Hove did, and I've, I've referenced his business model a lot because he's just so um, popular and it's easy for everyone to understand, but, all those years of albums, right? First of all, when he was making money off of the physical copies of the CDs, they were worth his time and energy. I think, uh, I don't know if you know the story, but I'm actually cool with DJ Clark Kent, who, who was the one who kind of pushed Jay-Z when he was 15 
to start rapping. And wow. he told me specifically, yeah, DJ Clark Kent told me specifically that Hope didn't want to do it because he didn't see the money in it. He's, he's a Brooklyn hustler. He's like, I can make more <laughs> money, you know, doing what I'm doing now, which everybody knows what he was doing. And, and he was kind of right because in that, during that time, early eighties, hip hop was not an industry. It was not, you know what I mean? It wasn't like even basketball was more lucrative for a black man to try to do than rapping at right. that time. Um, and yeah, Hove was like, I don't see the point. So, okay. Then obviously after he sees that you can make money from the CD, um, and actually get a good return on your investment, then boom, that's what like pushed him over the edge. I'm sure there's more to the story, but you know, um, that, that was a big chunk of it. So I say all of this to say that after 2001, two, I wish I knew the exact year, but I don't know if you know the exact year that, um, Hope became president of Def Jam. I want to say it was early, it was like, yeah, yeah, like early 2000s. I know the exact year it was early 2000s. Right. And so that was a very turbulent time in the music industry because obviously people weren't buying CDs. And so he was able to be the entrepreneur he was and quickly pivot outside of just selling CDs. Um, he had, of course, started Rockaware at that point and was sell- the point I'm trying to make here is that for all the intangible value you create, you have to create a physical um, or even digital product to act as an extension that merchandises the intangible value because if not then you've just become this legend right and you have all this cultural capital but you don't have an actual product that someone can buy to encapsulate the intangible value i don't know if you remember but early 2000s a bunch of artists had perfume all of a sudden 50 cent j-lo britney spears because they couldn't sell cds so they had to figure out other ways to merchandise their brands, right? To make this all worth it. Because the last thing you want is a bunch of fame and no money. It's <laughs> the worst. Right, right. Um, so the story continues. So basically he was able to, you know, he had, there's, there's a bunch of books and stuff about it. But he, he was having issues with the other um, management at, at Death Jam. And he was seeing how, you know, what they were doing before was going to no longer be lucrative. And he wanted to invest in headphones. He wanted to invest in um, something else, and they were giving him a hard time. I know the story's long, but it, it has a good point. So um, he was able to structure a unique deal with, with uh, Live Nation, right? I want to say, like, right after he left Death Jam, he started Rock Nation because he saw, okay, well, at least we're still making money from concert tickets. So let me structure a deal where I get, you know, I think he worked out some type of advance with Live Nation, um, which was innovative at that time people weren't thinking about um you know doing you know record deals with concert companies or or you know uh stadium companies so that was the first sort of like strategic move he did and then after that a few years after that he invested in ace of space i think he also tried to do a vodka with damon dash a few years earlier but he had sold rock aware and he invested in the ace of space now, here's where we see the genius level of Brooklyn Hove. Talk about it. Um, I'm sorry, <laughs> no, I guess. I got to throw all of that in there. Yeah. I got I to take credit like I did it, right? <laughs> um, uh, oh, let me stop playing. But um, So the difference about the champagne is, first of all, it's way more simplified than a fashion line. Fashion lines are very expensive to run. You have to hire creative teams. Um, 
and the margins are not as attractive as they are for a champagne. From the research I've done at Ace of Spades, I think um, at wholesale is $13 a bottle. I don't know if you've ever actually bought one, but on retail, they are about $300 a bottle. So we're talking about... No, I was just gonna say. Go I was gonna say. I was gonna say real quick because because I think you might have talked about or I saw it somewhere else. Like, but designing like designing a product so well that like when I buy my iPhone or I don't even want to throw away the box. I can't even count how many iPhone boxes I got stashed in the garage, right? And so what, what made me think yeah. about that is I did buy Ace of Space bottle one time a while back, and I still have the bottle, right? So it, it just made me think about that, well, like the thoughtfulness well, of design, right? It's like creating something where I don't even want to dispose of it once I use the actual product. It's that. Yes, that is a huge part of it. But the thing is, all the haters, right, are going to be like, oh, my God, he's scamming people, da, 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 right? But what I encourage people to do, especially creatives, I hate when I hear creatives talking like that. Because I go, do you understand the cultural capital that this man has created? <laughs> he can, he can um, slab that type of, margin he can slab that type of profit margin on his product because you're going to feel the value you're getting isn't coming from the champagne right it's coming from the years of those albums that you just mentioned um having an a a priceless impact on your life right so the least he can do is sell a $300 champagne. So every let's, it's a celebration, right? His brand is about success and, and uh, entrepreneurship and bossing up. So of course a champagne is an expression of that idea. And Hey, you know what I mean? Everyone's happy. But when we want to, but again, if we only focus on tangible value, if look, if you were just trying to get drunk, then go to the corner, you know, go to the liquor store and get you a little Syrah. Right. <laughs> no, no shade to Diddy. No shade to Diddy. But if you're trying, it's, it's, it's more than just getting that. The tangible value is like, oh, I'm a little tipsy, right? But the intangible value is I, I made it. I made it to a point where I can get this bottle and I can celebrate and everybody here knows what this means and we don't even have to say it. Damn. It speaks for itself. Yep. So. That is the power of brand. That is, and people don't want to, people think, you know, again, they, they don't realize how important when, when I, the reason why I'm so passionate about creatives is because regular business people can't do that. Right. They, they're out there trying to get the cheapest, fastest champagne. Right. But the creative business people, you've got the, you've got the privilege of knowing how to storytell. You've got the privilege of knowing how to provoke emotion the way Hove did, the way, Rihanna does. She's another example I use. Um, and you, if you do that for years and years and years, it's really easy to make a product and say, boom, this product represents everything I've been singing about or everything I've made my content about. And you're done. You're not going to sit here and tell me Kylie Jenner is a billionaire because, you know, she's a genius. Right. No, she took, she merchandised what her content was about. And because it was a physical product, it was able to reach that unprecedented amount for, for her age range and blah, blah, blah. But that's because she was able to merchant create that, for, you know, physical extension and scalable extension of what her content was about. You don't even got to be that creative. She's not even right. that creative. If you, if you, you know, keep it in the book, yeah. 
see, we got people out here struggling, doing this, doing. I'm like, if you don't figure out what you're gonna sell <laughs> or leave me alone, yeah. so that's what creative business school is about. And it's it's also about yeah, getting those wealth generating products, not just starting up a whole mess because you don't really you haven't done the the due diligence of figuring out what business model is gonna actually scale. Right. That's the key word is what business model is actually going to actually going to scale. Man, you just put into work. I'm glad you walked through that whole story because all of that was relevant to get to that <laughs> point. But like you just put into words what I what I think uh, I'm, I'm doing with one of one of my brands. Um, but like so basically the the concept is you create this intangible value that people feel. And then yep. once you yep. once you got get them to feel that and it resonates shameless plug it resonates with them then right. you merchandise you you merchandise and you productize it because then that's the that's the physical exactly. manifestation of of what they've been feeling like man that's what i've been feeling i gotta buy it that makes sense Damn. right that's right. why people are gonna spend 1400 on the travis scott you know what i'm saying yeah because it's just shoes okay everybody's mama's just like oh why don't you just buy the 40 dollars shoes well mom because they're travis scott because they have an intangible value. You're not buying the shoes. Mm-hmm. People want to sit here and think it's about the champagne. It's about the makeup. It's, no, it's about what it represents. And, and that's enough. The other example I gave was Dr. Dre in my tweets. Because somebody was talking mess, talking about, oh, these you know headphones cost $14 to produce. Okay, well, you have a, a, a successful career in, in hip-hop and discovering people for 40 years. Nearly 40 years. And, right. and Or you try to sell headphones without that legacy right. and see how easy it's going to be. The headphones are selling because of the intangible value. Right. Same thing with Otherwise, Jordans. Otherwise, it's very difficult. Right. Same thing with Absolutely. Jordans because you want to be like my, you, you put on this, you might suck at basketball. You might not even be able to make a free throw, but the, the brand of Jordan and how it makes you feel to associate with that, that's why you're willing to spend. It's worth the money. Exactly. The it's 250 worth the money for bucks. a lot of people. Not exactly. everybody. Right. Yeah, there's of course you're always going to have your customer who's just that not into it but don't don't market to them. That's they were never going to buy from you anyway. Exactly. You got to focus on the people who find real value and say, "Yeah, I know this was a $300 champagne and I'm damn proud that I'm able to buy it." And here we are. And if you got a problem, buy. You know. The yep. last thing I want to say about the whole thing is that when the announcement came out that he was a billionaire on Forbes, a lot of people were all excited, but what a lot of people didn't do is look at the actual breakdown of the portfolio. Yep. If you look at the breakdown of the portfolio, the two biggest contributors are Duce and Ace of Spades. Half of the fortune, nearly half of the fortune, I think Duce is, uh, I know one of them is $200 million and the other one is $300 million. And if you pay attention to his rap, like even like five years ago, um, or six years ago at this point, he was talking about how he was worth half half a billion, right? So you could literally do the math and listen to the whole line and see that he was able to add $100 million of net, uh, to his net worth per year because of those products. <sighs> That's how lucrative they are. Damn. People want to sit here and act like it's rocket science. People want to sit here and act like it's because he's a great rapper. He doesn't have to be a great rapper. That's, that's distracting y'all. What he is is he's a good businessman because there, we have a lot of talented rappers who are struggling right now. Who yeah. are, you know, the, the shit in the 90s 
or the early 2000s and they trying to just, you know, get, you know, trying to sell some <laughs> fashion over or whatever now. Right. On Instagram. That, they hate to see it. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. It is. It's tough. Man. Being nice has nothing to do with it. That's has what the creators, creators, oh, I went to school. I know how to do this. That don't, The economy don't care you went to school. Right. Consumers don't care you went to school. Consumers just want to feel what they want to feel. Facts. And they want to know if your product is going to give that to them. And, and, that's, and that's the funny part. They don't it, care if you're the most talented. Right. And that's the yeah. funny part because it's like you look at the music industry you look like, damn, why is this artist popping? And I'm conscious and, I'm, and my lyrics are so much better. And it's because they have figured out a way to be more popular, right? They figured out a way to get marketable. To make, it's marketable. Like a hit song isn't made, it's marketed. Right. And so like, that's what right. people got to understand. It's like, no one, no one is negating the importance of doing or creating deep, meaningful work. Obviously that will stand the test of time, but it's like in that you right. can't lose, yeah, exactly. you can't lose sight of the business of it all. And I think that's what you help people. Figure. Yeah, You can't think that's yeah. going to exactly. You can't think that's going to be what gives you financial success. It will give you, yes, it will give you that prestige. A lot of artists, what they care about is the respect of the other artists in their community. But again, if that comes at the cost of your comfort and your financial independence, then that's me, you've gone a little too far. But there are plenty of examples of artists who know how to market themselves well and can still keep true to their integrity. If you look at the J. Coles, if you look at the Kendricks, if you look yep. at um, uh, Childish, you know what I'm saying? Those are artists that stuck to the chorus and still, you know, they, they nurtured their audiences and they have their own little world. You know what I'm saying? And they can, they can sell their merch. They can, you know, sell out their concerts and stuff like that. Yeah. And, and then the other things creatives, I feel like have to realize is something that it clicked for me a while ago. Cause you know, I have products that I sell and I have services that I sell, but the balance of that as a creative is who you serve doesn't always have to be who pays you. Right. Because when you can win the trust of your audience, then if you're smart, you go about it from a business standpoint and not going about it like from a vantage point of, oh, I, I'm, I'm privileged to go work with this brand, but you go at a more, more of like a, a equity play or like a deal that really benefits you. Now you can get, get these mm -hmm. companies to really stroke the big check because you figured out how to productize yourself and also prove that you have the trust and approval of this audience. And I think that's, and I think you talked about right. that before, but that's where creatives go wrong is like looking at it like, oh, well, it, it's a privilege that I get to show up at the MTV Awards and host the red carpet. No, they need you to be there. Right. So you need to shift, right, you exactly. need to shift the conversation to, to realize that because if, if it's not done as a collective, it hurts everybody, just like the stock market. Right. Or any market for that matter. If something, the only way to regulate the value of something is if in that particular market, no one is willing to basically slut themselves out or no one's willing to pay over for something that isn't, does the value hasn't been quantified. We all have to kind of be on the same page right. and that can drive, drive the change. So I, I love the fact you help creators map that out. This podcast episode is sponsored by CapitalWise. CapitalWise is a boutique financial planning firm serving entrepreneurs of high growth companies. We also have investment management services for all. Plan precisely, invest intelligently. CapitalWise.
Yeah, and I think I think in addition to that too, it's like as a creative, whatever deal you're in, you always have to ask yourself, who really has the power here? Right. Because again, like you said, we see a big flashy brand and we think, oh, they do. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But if you really do the math, if you really sit down and pay attention to who has the power, most of the time you're going to see it's, it's you because you are offering the creative, intangible value that a record label can't just do on their own. That any brand, all these, the reason why influencer marketing is taking off is because brands don't know how to make content, but they see you over there you know, scrambling around making content in your free time, going into debt, you know, <laughs> staying up late, fixing, editing videos. And they're like, oh, yeah. you knew this. Right. You know what I'm saying? So if they value that, then that means you have the power in, in the relationship. Don't, I'm not saying to abuse it. I'm not saying, to, but understand that you have it. Nah, facts, facts, man. So, I mean, obviously, this was everything I expected it would be. Thank you for all the bars and gems uh, that you shared <laughs> so far. So quick little uh, rapid fire round, if you will. Um, favorite okay. favorite Jordan sneaker of all time? Uh, uh, I'm thinking like three different ones. But um, because it's been changing. Last year was the Concord. That's always but a favorite, I think yeah. this year it's, it's I know I know I'm so I'm so regular. Um, <laughs> I would say the the threes. Okay. The threes, okay. This year. Fair. Yeah. Favorite. It's gonna be a hard one. Favorite Hove album of all time. That's not hard. Um, Reasonable doubt. Oh, okay. I guess. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> when you put it like that, yeah. Um, spring or winter. Spring. Well, you do live in New York, I'm so a spring baby. You know, I don't. You know, I know how y'all like to, how y'all like to get down. Um, that don't mean we like winter. <laughs> but I just, I, I don't, you just I don't, put up with it. True, true. So y'all love the city so much that y'all put up with the winter. Exactly. Now this is this is a, the most important one. It's going to tell me everything I need to know about you. Pancakes or French toast? Uh oh. Pancakes. Okay. Woo, woo. You passed. You pass. It's definitely pancakes. Who would, I mean, French toast is good, but who would pick French? I thought you were going to say pancakes or waffles. I make pancakes almost like weekly. I love them. Oh, okay. What's your favorite like favorite recipe? Like, is it like you got blueberries, or you just like a plain like I'm plain and with the crispy edges? No, I I usually yeah I'll add I'll add blueberries. I made banana pancakes uh, a few weekends ago. Um, I you know sometimes. I would say most of the time I, I do them regular, but once in a while I, add, I like to add uh, blueberries and or, or bananas. Yeah, I'm a pancake connoisseur myself, so okay. All right. Well, believe it or not, there, there are weird, <laughs> weirdos out there who do choose French toast. So that's why I said it tells me everything I need to know. Um, <laughs> but despite what's going on in the world right now, what are you still like excited about for 2020? Yeah, um, I'm excited about running my business. I've already been, you know, connecting with so many interesting different types of creatives and it's been a really fulfilling um, experience for me. So I'm I'm looking forward to building more relationships with, with people like that. Dope, dope. And for those who want to connect with you like I did the first time I heard something that you did, 
Uh, what's the best way to, to just tap in with you and your work? Yeah, well, one of the things I forgot to say earlier is that um, I actually created an audience calculator for people who um, feel like they can't make money until they start, you know, until they have like 10,000 followers or um, even like 100,000 followers. And the point of the audience calculator is for any content creator who's listening to see how much money they could be making per month if they sold uh, a product to just 1% of their audience. And uh. people are always shocked because you can make, you know, there, you can make like an extra $1,000, $5,000 a month from audiences as small as like 500 people. Um, but you got to put your information in the calculator. So the, the link to that is, um, it's a bit.ly link. Maybe you can put it in the description box. But yeah. for anyone listening, it's um, bit.ly slash CBS income. So bit.ly slash CBS income um, and you just, you know, answer five questions and it'll show you a customized chart with that information. Everybody who takes it is always shocked. So, um, yeah, that is sort of some of the stuff we provide at Creative Business School. And if you want to get in contact with me or just kind of follow me and my journey and what I talk about, um, you can find me at Alex Wolf on Instagram and my blog is at uh, www.alexwolf.co. So join my email list. Um, I send insights on tech and creative entrepreneurship uh, at least once a week. I try, and um, yeah, it's a it's a really cool crew of, of people who um, follow my work. All very uh, interesting thinkers, entrepreneurs, and artists. Yeah, hundred percent. I co-sign that all the way. Like, if you start checking out her stuff, <laughs> you might stop listening to my podcast and just consuming her stuff because it's that good. Uh, but, <laughs> but, uh, my last question that I asked all my, all my guests is, uh, what does living life uncensored mean to you? Oh, uh, living life uncensored means, uh, having really good friends that you could be uncensored around, which sounds like easy, but finding those friends is not as easy as it sounds. So I'm, I'm very grateful. I have a group of people that I can send my ratchet my racket means to <laughs> <laughs> Nah, for sure. Well, thanks. Thank you so much again for coming on the show. Drop some gems. I know my listeners are going to love this and I just appreciate all, all the I'm work excited. you do to expand our minds and the way we think and the way we build and innovate because it's needed and it's necessary, especially for our generation. So I appreciate you. Thanks. Thank you for tuning in to an episode of the uncensored show take at least one thing you heard today and apply it to your life immediately so that you can become one step closer to living a more meaningful and fulfilling life and aligning your resources to what matters most to you remember money is just a resource to fuel your journey the question is what's yours What's going on, guys? Thank you so much for listening to the Uncensored Podcast. Whether you've listened to one episode or 40 episodes, I am so grateful for you taking any amount of time out of your day to listen to my show. Now, if you like what you heard, the best way to show me that you have an appreciation for this content is to leave me a review on Apple Podcasts and share this podcast with at least three friends because that helps us spread the word, right? We don't have a big marketing budget over here at the Uncensored uh, Podcast Studios, which is my home office, by the way, but we do have your support. And with that support, we can reach 
thousands, if not hundreds of thousands. So guys, thanks so much uh, for your support. Please share this with three friends and leave a review and we'll see you on the next episode.